Hey, wonderfuls, welcome to episode 353 of the JV Club with my guest, Courtney Hammeister. She is uh, wonderful. I had a great time meeting her, getting to know her. I think you will enjoy this episode very much. I hope people are looking forward to or are enjoying a nice holiday break, whatever you may celebrate or not celebrate. And I am uh, very grateful to have you as listeners. I know that sounds a little cheesy, but I'm very much in Sketchfest craziness mode. And um, I'm so excited to see some of you in person at the festival. Of course, I'm not doing the JV Club live there, but I will be doing tons of other shows, including a revival of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, uh, which I'm very excited about. It's a whole kind of unique, immersive theatrical experience. So check out sfsketchfest.com for more details on lots of wonderful shows, including tons of great Maximum Fun Network shows. And I will talk to you soon. and circumstance i guess that's the actual name of a song isn't it is uh, it like I, I, yeah i guess that i guess is that, is that, that song na, 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 yeah na, na, what if that was my opening theme song thank you everyone welcome to the jv club da, 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 da. <laughs> uh so you uh dwell in one of my favorite cities portland mm-hmm I was going to say it could be Maine or Oregon because they're both great, but I've never been to Portland, Maine, to be honest with you. Yeah, I haven't either. You haven't either. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's lovely. I think it's probably great. <laughs> but it's the sub-Portland, we all... That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. Sub-par Portland. That's right. I am... Uh, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this because I, I, I'm sort of waiting to outgrow my true crime phase because I am not somebody who was like that person up until serial. And then I, like mm-hmm. many other people suddenly realized it was fascinating. Um, so I've been listening to Anne rules book about the Green river killer. Oh yeah. Um, and she's a very thoughtful writer and she's, she like doesn't she, I'm, she's very careful not to name him mm-hmm. through the entire book, which is like 24 hours of audio, uh, of audible, uh, like I'd listen to the audiobook version of it rather than sitting and reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talks as much about the victims and sort of who they were and what their lives were like and their families and stuff. Um, so it's exactly the tasteful thing that I like as opposed to something exploitative, which I definitely don't like mm-hmm. so but portland and seattle uh, and tacoma all of those cities feature prominently yep. in that and that's where and so she lived in that area and then she wrote all these other true crime books books including just randomly having to you know work side by side with ted bundy before he was known as ted bundy oh um so she's an interesting writer but that's so that's been that's kind of what i think of in this moment i'm like oh beautiful portland tacoma <laughs> seattle area so many murders Isn't so that wonderful well i mean there's so many places it's so green there's so many forests there's so many places yeah to drop a body that's right that's so, why it's yeah. just a practical thing yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and what I, are you my, gonna do go to tucson this is where i'm from there's no place to do anything because there's oh, cactus and not. scorpions everywhere you're exactly. not gonna risk that Mm-mm. no mm-hmm. everything's out in the open that's right um but my so my friend chelsea kane um she's an amazing thriller writer uh well and now she's she's actually writing comic books oh, nice. um but uh she actually when she was pregnant uh with her uh wonderful daughter eliza she 
became obsessed with the Green River Killer. And oh. she had lived in that area yeah. when it was all happening. Oh, boy. And the, she, what she was fascinated by was how um, the FBI agent, I think it was the FBI agents, he said, oh, I'll take you to all these places. And she, w- what she was fascinated with was that they had to sit in a car for long periods of time yeah. with someone that they knew was a killer. Yeah. And she became fascinated with that relationship, yes. what that relationship would be like. Yes. And then she wrote um, this Heartsick series um, about a serial killer, this woman, this badass woman yeah. serial killer. Oh, my God. I can't believe that there was a good actual segue into real stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank God I mentioned it. No, no, no. I'm so glad. Yeah. You legitimized me in a oh. wonderful way just now and you're welcome as you know we plan to talk about this exactly we totally <laughs> did yeah but i mean i highly highly recommend that series i, I will am, read it yeah i'm i generally don't you know i i just don't read that genre partially because i'm an anxious person and yeah. it makes me a little bit more anxious but i don't know why they're they, wonderfully you know, written books. That, but yeah yeah um yeah there's such a there was it's i think the thing that is that I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but like, I feel like there is sort of a split down. Like, I would never have thought of myself as somebody who would be drawn to this stuff because I'm so anxious and mm-hmm. because I don't need another thing to be worried about, and because I'm so empathetic, I don't need another person to have my heart break over. Yep. But I think there is some sort of like, I don't think it's a coincidence that it um, lines up with like you know me sort of um, having like a very mild midlife crisis and becoming aware of my mortality and looking for those clues like how could these good women have not you know because there's so much bravado which I absolutely was that young person I was the person who was like I think I can handle myself with a killer okay (laughs) like what what are you saying no and that's a sort of in my mind I think in in the minds of of some women who have that bravado and possibly even some of the sex workers to to whom these horrible things happened there was a sense of there's like a, a, a feminism to yeah. it right there's this idea of like no man is going to kill me thank you very much exactly you know and you want that to be true and if you feel like if you if you if you believe that then it must be yeah and then to be victimized in that way you know god damn it but i but i think and then also the sort of puzzle of like yeah but they did get like there's a sense of sort of closure which is a terrible word but a sense of like you know but this couldn't go on forever and they did finally like mm-hmm. that sort of feeling of vengeance in some way but right yeah but it's well, still anxiety it, inducing so really i don't know why i i, I, I indulge i well because it's absolutely fascinating and we wonder how someone for me it's um wondering how that happens to a person where where that kind of behavior is normalized for them or you know what has to have happened in their life in order to send them to that place yeah. and, and and i think that we're always um and we're because we can't imagine it. We can't imagine being that person or, mm. or thinking that that's okay. It's like you want to somehow figure out the puzzle. I yeah, think, absolutely. You know? Well, too, I think, um, you know, if you have had any type of, uh, for lack of a better term, mental illness, although, you know, I, I understand that for some of us, we would just want to say like, hey, it was, a, it, was, it was a thing. I don't want to think of it as an illness. It was something I went through or an experience or a challenge or whatever. Um, so which, however feels best for uh, each of us personally to define it or label it, um, I think for me, there is also a part that's like, how much crazier would I have had to have gotten before? <laughs> like, yeah. you sort of, once you kind of, tiptoed into a place where someone at some point in your life has been like I don't understand you I'm getting scared or I'm worried about you Mm -hmm. that you that you kind of do go okay so I've seen I've peeled back something that maybe other people haven't 
how close is that down the road? Because that was always my fear. It was like, I- I'm going to go crazy. I'll just go all the way crazy. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. Right. That I know <laughs> Exactly. Maybe this you is, know? yeah, maybe you're just imagining all of this. Yeah. No, but I think that that's what, and that's certainly, uh, it's, that's part of being an anxious person is that you're, you know, um, there, there's there's anxiety unfortunately like the first time i ever had a panic attack on stage how old were you when you first um, had one? Oh, it was like i was i don't even know like 41 or something oh, okay. it was really this really is recent. Late. okay yeah. yeah yeah i mean because i was in i was on stage in high school i wanted to be an actor i studied at nyu to, to act yeah we were both in greece by the way and did in you get to school. play something fun um, I did was you actually play somebody I was, like me. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no, I wanted to be Rizzo. I was just like yeah. you. I wanted to be Rizzo so badly. Yeah. Um, but I, I was just in the chorus. At, yeah. Um, but, uh, but, anyway. but you're, you're suggesting that Greece being in Greece made us crazy. And I do yes. believe that. I do feel that that's what it came, where it came from. My, like my, I, I watched Greece 800 times in the theater when it came out, um, because I'm that old. Um, and now when I look back, it is so hilarious to watch that movie because i mean rizzo was 35 years old there was just no question like in, in what was his that the you actor's know, name it wasn't Stan- or whatever just oh, like it was you it was an insane. adult man yeah exactly there's just <laughs> it's like he just had this horrible five o'clock know, shadow at 10 o'clock in the morning it was ridiculous but anyway um yeah it wasn't until really late in life but but what so and then it, so I had this job where I hosted a radio show and it was a radio variety show that was sh- that was recorded in front of about 400 people mm-hmm. every couple of weeks. And is this in Portland or is this? So this is in Portland. Yeah. yeah. And so this was my job. And then I, I it was weird. I was just hosting an event for a local nonprofit and I had a panic attack on stage. And the problem with that, um, with having a panic attack at any point is that then what happens is you start to have anxiety about having anxiety and you have what's called anticipatory dread. And what that will do is it will give you a panic attack that will give you an anxiety attack. And so that's, I think, and that's part of when you struggle at any point with, with anxiety or any kind of mental illness that you might be able to move through at one point, you're always dealing with that fear of, I just went part of the way and I'm later going to go all of the way. You know, for a long time I was terrified that I was going to be schizophrenic. And I think schizophrenia is just, you know, it, it is by far, I think one of the cruelest diseases. Um, and so I was, that was my fear was that somehow I was going to become schizophrenic, you know? Um, but, but I, but I also think they say, that something like it would takes like two generations to make a schizophrenic like hmm. many schizophrenics are created based on their life experience in mm. in some ways and so like a, um, like it like the sort of nature has to combine with nurture in just a very specific way yes. for a lot of different things to kind of kick in perhaps right. i mean it can just be in right. you know it can just be in you sort of but um but i had you know my father was bipolar and and so you know when you have um anxiety and ocd and you have uh, obsessive thoughts all it takes is for there to be some sort of facts that might support it and right. then you're Fucked. yeah yeah you're fucked yeah you know you can make you can invent the rest mm-hmm. exactly whether whether it's would have been there or not exactly did you have uh so did you have a, a manifestation of some kind of anxiety before your first panic attack or or 
I, d- I yeah. did. I mean, I had, so um, I was the host and the head writer of the show and we did uh, sketch comedy. Uh, we s- was part of the show. And, um, and so we'd have writers meetings and the Monday of the show would be our, you know, would be our first writers meeting for that show. And wh- I would say that uh, I called it my dread ball would arrive mm-hmm. that Monday morning and it would be about the size of a golf ball mm-hmm. in my chest. And um, so as the week passed, my dread ball grew. And many people who have anxiety, it affects your breathing, right? You yeah. um, you breathe significantly more shallowly. Yeah. And what's interesting about breath is that I think that it's it can be magical. Like if you, it's magical in terms of getting rid of that anxiety. Um, but it's also, so it also, I think, helps you sort of take in the world. Yeah. You know, it's like, Breathing in allow, just allows you to hear people and be mm-hmm. present. And, you know, we just know all of this from mindfulness stuff. And, sure. Um, and so if you are breathing shallowly, um, you're not taking in the world. You're not hearing people. You're not living your experience, you know. Yeah. And so there were lots of reasons why that was you know, why that certainly didn't work. I was also interviewing people on that show mm. and people that I just admired so much writers, you know, I got to, you know, interview Cheryl Strait and, um, and David Rakoff, one of my favorite all time writers sure. and, and then actors like Carrie Brownstein and directors like Gus Van Zant and these people that I so admired yeah. and was so excited to learn from. Mm but I couldn't hear them Mm -hmm. like, you know, and I couldn't hear their answers like a good interviewer. It's just all about listening. Yeah. So anyway, like, um, so the dread ball would arrive. And then on the show day, I was just living inside of it. Mm. I say that it was sort of like a hamster ball because because anxiety sort of closes you off from the world. There's all this static between you and the world. hundred percent. Yeah. And so it, it made it so much harder to do my job, but it wasn't so bad that I couldn't work through it. And right. I was absolutely the sort of frog in the, you know, in the hot tub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, Feels this is pretty okay in here, I guess. Exactly. I yeah. just, I feel like all my pores are opening uh-huh. right now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. yeah. And then it just, it got progressively worse until I had a two day panic attack right before a show. Okay. We're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Dead Pilot Society brings you exclusive readings of comedy pilots that were never made, featuring actors like Patton Oswalt. So the vampire from the future sleeps in the dude's studio during the day, and they hunt monsters at night. It's Blade meets the odd couple. Adam Scott and Jane Levy. Come on, Corey. She's too serious, too businessy. She doesn't know the hokey pokey. Well, she'll learn what it's all about. <laughs> Busy Phillips and Dave Keckner. Baby, this is family. My Uncle Tell, who showed his wiener to Cinderella at Disneyland, is family. Do you want him staying with us? He did stay with us for three months. And he was a delight. <laughs> a new pilot every month, only on Dead Pilot Society for Maximum Fun. I will say I had I that I sort of had a, a point at which I was in a state of like full um 
depersonalization for a weekend. That was sort of my first worst kind of like, oh, this is, oh, I'm going to go to sleep and wake up this way also, which I did. And that's very hard to describe to people because people Mm -hmm. assume that that means that by then you would have been rushed to the emergency room because we see Tony Soprano having a panic attack and he clutches his chest and falls down and passes out versus a thing that, so describe that to me. And by the way, everybody, if it hasn't become clear, I'm sure there's a a lot covered in your book because uh, it is about this idea of, of overcoming some things and then also the difference between sort of like overcoming something and then or being quote unquote, quote unquote, brave enough to still be afraid and move forward in your life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and it's funny because I use the word panic attack and I might actually be and I'm probably misusing the word because it really I, I think that most people would more call it an anxiety attack. Like I I think that or like people, a nervous breakdown. That's what they used to call stuff. Right. Like, that. like oh, had a nervous breakdown over the weekend. Right. Which this whole issue of language around mental illness in this country, like it, it's so imprecise. Mm. You know, the fact that you can say I was depressed this weekend and you were kind of bummed out because like, you know, the sale at REI, like you couldn't get the jacket that right. you wanted. Right. Like, and th- that can describe this. Th- you're describing the same thing as being in bed and literally not being able to get up. Right that's just fucked up right it's like there's a huge difference between depression and clinical depression and there's a huge difference between oh i'm a little i feel a little anxious about this and and clinical anxiety or generalized anxiety or whatever um and my least favorite word dread like it sounds (laughs) as bad as it feels right right yeah but so um and what complicates my situation too is that i have ocd Mm. and it's not um a lot of people think when they think of OCD they think of um oh I think that the world is full of germs and so I have to wash my hand hands 800 times um that is uh that is a upset OCD with a compulsion Mm -hmm. and you can actually have it's super fun you can also have OCD with only intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. so you're not doing any compulsions based on those thoughts so you know when I had my first panic attack my on stage it was that I, I started to think about how amazing and strange it is that we can stand on a stage and be reading something and be saying something out loud and then but also our brain can then read ahead and know how we're supposed to say those words that are coming up and I convinced myself like I'm gonna stop knowing how to do this like I get I, my panic sometimes I, I'm walking downstairs and I think that and I'm like what if I forget how to what, what I can't I, I'm not gonna what, how do I know how to do this what is happening <laughs> I, my, I'm not telling my legs to do this what if they stop doing it yeah. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I would characterize that as a depersonalization or a displacement because there's, because that's an, it's like existential. It's the, it's the ability yes. and that because then you can, then you can go even further and go, oh my God, I'm able to think about the fact that I can do both of these. And I'm able to think about the fact that I'm going to stop doing it. And the words are still coming out of my mouth because it's, I'm a meat puppet and something <laughs> is just flapping my, le- you know, somehow I've uh, matured to this point where I even know what the English language is. And then it, forget it from there. It's like, Lock well, me also, it was the it was the fact that I was thinking that that also because I was like, and I can think about this while it's yeah. happening, and I can try this to talk insane. myself out of worrying about this other conversation that I'm having with myself while I'm still. I mean, it just piles on. Exactly. Yep. I mean, the human brain. Well, I'll tell you this: you're not a dumb person. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I would yes, I, I I would hope that that's true, um, it, but I but it 
the human brain is so miraculous in terms of um, it, not only in terms of the things that we can imagine and the things that we can do, like obviously, but it's also miraculous in its ability to fuck us up and just truly like send us to these places that are devastating. And, and I think that, um, so, so my OCD, uh, manifests itself in things like what I told you, that story that I told you, but it's also harm OCD. Like I'm afraid that I'm going to hurt someone. Mm -hmm. And so that manifested as, Oh, I'm going to hurt my housemate who is this, just this extraordinarily, she's like an elf, like Mm -hmm. a human elf, you know, (laughs) she's just like (laughs) unbelievably generous and hilarious. And she's an assemblage artist and, um, and everyone loves her. So it's like, like I say that like her wanting to hurt her would be like wanting to hurt that elf who wanted to be a dentist. Yeah. Like no one wants to hurt (laughs) that guy. Yeah. Um, but that's part of it, right? I mean, it can't be a coincidence that you picked somebody that you're like, Oh God, why would I ever, but that's why I'm going to like, wait, what? No, hold on. That's exactly it, right? We we imagined the worst possible thing that we could do. And so, yeah, I think, so I would, that's, and, and what's devastating, I think, about, about anxiety or panic attacks or like like the two-day event that you had is that, is that shift in the morning, that moment where you, you're waking from sleep and everything feels normal for like 10 seconds maybe until you, until your brain remembers where you are and it puts you there magically. Yeah again yeah you know and it's just it's depressing there's this connection between anxiety and depression because you're like it's back again and you're massively depressed about that yeah so um because that's also the time when your brain thinks it's a good idea to say like oh this is your reality yes like maybe you thought your reality was something else and you know what maybe it was but now it's going to be this forever exactly and you think that it's forever and so that's what that two days was like for me I I just you know I would wake up and and then essentially you're just you're fighting with your brain all day long and you're and 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 the difficult thing about OCD is that it's it's true for you it's this massively irrational truth but it is absolutely true for you and it's true for your body. Yeah. You know, you are a person who can't imagine ever hurting someone physically yeah. and you imagine that you have done it yeah. and you feel all of that shame. Yeah. And, and so that's what I was living with for, for a couple of days. And, and, um, and I, uh, I finally called my brother who is just this, um, he actually studied psychology and then he was a bartender for like 20 years. So man, does he he's fucking know it. humans? Yeah, yeah. And, um, he's incredibly empathetic and just the best listener ever. And I called him and I was like, I don't know what to do. And he just said, come over. And, and so I was talking to him and, and I was telling him what was going on and I was saying, I just, I can't cancel, you know, I mean, and, and I was just talking about like all the pe- all the people on staff and the audience and the cast and all these guests. I just, you know, and I was just, I said, I just, I, I can't do it. I, and he's, and he just kept saying you have to, mm. and I just kept fighting it and final and just saying all this stuff about like all these reasons why. And he just sort of shook his head and you know you never like you never really want somebody to kind of cock their head and look at you you know that right. mo- that like bless your heart moment yeah. and yeah. and and really the look on his face was like you know it's absolutely adorable that you think you're this important but you have to do this for yourself right. you know it's yeah. gonna be okay and he just handed me the phone and 
And I called my producer and I said that I couldn't do it. And what was amazing was we had this guy, Luke Burbank, on the show. And the whole reason we had him on was that we we needed a backup for me in case I got sick. Mm. So I called the producer and I said, what if we just ask Luke to host? Right. Like he was this guy from Seattle and he hosts a podcast called Too Beautiful to Live. Mm -hmm. And then he hosted it. And and I say this like the best and worst thing happened. Mm. And that was that the show was great. Yeah. And fine without yeah. me and yeah. this thing that I'd made and that I'd worked for 10 years on was absolutely fine without me. I was like a, a mom, you know, like who, who had successfully raised her child to be independent and go to college. And you're just like, yay, fuck. Yeah. Like, you know, sure. And sure. so, yeah. So that's kind of how that whole thing went down. And that's what led to me kind of doing this experiment yeah. on, on trying to teach my brain that everything might be okay. And ha- and so I, I would assume that um, for people who are worried, they're going to read a book and find out that it doesn't work and that <laughs> that's all over. Right. Presumably. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think that, um, I think that, I mean, it absolutely, it worked. But when I say that it worked, it didn't work in the way that every movie that you see worked. Like it, it changed my life that year. So I, I just spent a year doing things that scared me that were kind of ridiculous, like Mm. not like I didn't jump out of planes or bungee off of anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I did. Isn't that funny how that's what everyone's brain immediately goes to? Like we've been socially conditioned, maybe, or maybe that we just are so connected to our like id, you know, tiny dinosaur bird ape brains that we're like, I know what's bad, falling from a great height. (laughs) No one survives that. Exactly. I'm going to, and so I'm going to do it and everything will be better afterwards. Um, but uh, yeah, so I appreciate so, that that was not the top of the list. For exactly. You. Well, yeah, because I knew that I, I didn't, I didn't want to scare the shit out of myself, right. you know? Um, but I just kind of wanted to process things. And, and so, you know, and I did things that, that's, that I knew scared me that wouldn't necessarily scare other people like sensory deprivation tank. Cause I'm oh weirdly afraid of the dark and claustrophobic Yeah, and claustrophobic isn't weird, but I think I'm way too old to still be afraid of the dark mm. um but see my my fear of the sensory deprivation isn't the dark or the claustrophobia it's the idea that i already feel like my out of body experiences were like a dissolution basically what buddhism is trying to get to but if it's happening to you and it's not what you want and you didn't plan on it it's terrifying which is like oh all of my atoms are connected to and just kind of merging with all the rest of the atoms i'm not a person anymore i'm just like a thing and where do i stop and where does the rest of the world begin which is like this beautiful idealized place to get to but if your brain existentially dumps that on you and you aren't ready for it because you're 18 or whatever Mm -hmm. like that's what a sensory deprivation tank that's what i'm afraid of is going in there and being like oh i'm gonna lose all sense of who i am immediately no 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 no. i had to work to get that back Mm -hmm. you know so that so when you were 18 that's what happened to you Mm -hmm. You yeah that's how it manifested that you were just sort of one sort of one and didn't exist necessarily yeah or just that i didn't have any i couldn't i like you were saying earlier like there's a there's this overwhelming sense of of not being able to understand or be comfortable with the idea of being a human and growing up and liking things why do i like this color and not you know why do i think i like this taste but i say i don't like that taste like how did this all happen um it was just this just this total existential kind of crisis um but but yeah so so that's that's interesting it's interesting the things that trigger 
people for different reasons even just yeah. like you were saying with this sort of idea of blanket anxiety like oh you're you're depressed oh you're anxious oh you're it's like oh it's you just mentioned how miraculous the brain is so it's entirely likely that there are a billion different ways to feel like it's broken on you or mm-hmm. something you know yeah i mean it, well i'm kind of interested in so obvious I think that the, the, the ideals, uh, the concepts of Buddhism um, sort of interconnect with cognitive behavioral therapy in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. These ideas of, you know, being the moment. Of, well, and, and we see the world through our, through our own lens, right? And that we need to kind of just let go of that lens and just allow the world to be and all these things. And, and so many of the, the ideals of Buddhism, I think, uh, are helpful I think to people with anxiety. So did, did you like try to steer clear, like knowing what Buddhism was about and knowing how that had first manifested in you? Did you steer clear? Yeah, I didn't know anything. I don't think I knew enough about Buddhism. I mean, I think at that period I was like, Oh, another religion with a like very sweet, chubby statue and i and i know that it's i vaguely know that it sounds like something that would if i had to choose a religion i would probably choose it and then beyond that i didn't know like really anything at all yeah yeah i mean i i think you know and there's so many things i think when you're struggling with this that you know there's so many things that you're willing to try and do i actually uh i tried because i went through a bad after the book came out i actually went through a bad ocd period which i think was connected to of course, you know, the book coming out. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you got the thing that you've always wanted your whole life. So let's let your brain fuck that up. Sure. For you. And it also um, was like something that was completely and totally in about you and mm-hmm. and not a fictional. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Um, but I actually tried microdosing. I mean, I'm I don't know. D- I'm very interested in, in microdosing. Well, mushrooms. I, um, yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, and, but there's so many different, I mean, um, and I haven't read Michael Pollan's book, but I've read, you know, some of his pieces that he's had published mm-hmm. about his whole experience with that. And, you know, and, and, you know, there's, there's actually a group in Portland where they're, where they're talking about micro and macro dosing of all these different things. Mm. You know, there's MDMA they're saying is super helpful. They're saying that, um, that LSD is incredibly helpful for, um, for anxiety and depression. Hmm. Um, and supposedly like if you, you know, I mean, I'm not recommending doing, why would I do that? I'm not going to tell you to do illegal <laughs> drugs. It's a terrible idea. But, but there are actually, you know, there are psychologists who have actually let go of their license because they want to do this work mm. with people. Yeah. Um, and, and I, tr- and I tried the microdosing, but I think that, you know, there's a certain way that you have to do it. Right. Um, and I think that I, I just didn't quite do it right. And I had gotten to the point where I was just like, so, it was too much for me. So I just yeah. finally like went on, you know, SSRIs. Yeah. Um, did, what did you, two questions about your adolescence, mm-hmm. uh, did, was OCD manifesting itself? It's that's all adult life stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, did you grow up with re- any kind of religion in your household? Um, we, I think that we tried church really early on, but my mother was raised in a religious household and she was not a fan of what that did to her life. And, um, and she was, you know, she adored school Mm. and college and, uh, and reading about, um, world religions. And I think that she just, she was, and so she was like, you guys just choose. And, 
if you just tell your kids to choose, they're not really going to do that because right. it's boring. Yeah. You know, so I didn't, I wasn't raised with religion. Um, and this is still, this is Portland all the way. Um, no, I was an army brat. So oh, okay. I grew up all over. All right. All over Dro- the place. Na- name drop some cities and towns for some me. Some pretty so glamorous. Um, uh, San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. Shaker Heights, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, I did actually get to live in Monterey, California, which is absolutely gorgeous. Sure it is. Um, and, and actually it was Pebble Beach that my high school where we did Greece. Um, great uh, that was and uh and aurora colorado beautiful aurora colorado mm-hmm. near denver um hawaii actually we lived in hawaii oh, when, my, when my dad was in vietnam and what's who's we is that you and siblings my, your mom i have an older brother oh, oh that's um, right your brother of yeah course. and my mom yeah yeah like she could have evidently chosen anywhere to live while he was in vietnam and she was like um i'm gonna go with oahu i guess <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah 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 what um so obviously that's an entirely different experience and different conversation than the person who you know maybe moves once or grows up in the same place and kind of hangs on to a lot of those same relationships with people um was acting or was the kind of the arts world something that was you found easier to drop into as a newbie um do you think that had anything to do with it or was it just totally independent of that like you you just loved that side of things I think I just loved like I remember the first time I well the first time that I did it I was in elementary school and I actually had like a coughing fit I choked I was playing a rabbit and I choked on a carrot on the stage (laughs) and I mean like pieces of carrot were flying um out of my mouth it was hugely humiliating so it's weird that I went back to it (laughs) but uh but yeah that's your white whale is the carrot the bunny (laughs) carrot well what's interesting is that there's a whole story in my book about choking on a carrot and um and that i uh because i peed i peed all over my boyfriend's floor because i had this massive coughing fit and i just there was a puddle of pee on the floor so it's a it's it's the bane (laughs) carrots are I don't know why I continue putting them in my mouth like I also I will say that almost every time I eat my first bite of a carrot I get the hiccups and yet you still you know it's like we but you know what it's I've I've really trimmed down the amount of times I eat carrots (laughs) I think I've gotten to the age now where I'm like I know where this is going (laughs) they're delicious but if I take the tiniest bite and I chew it as thoroughly as you're supposed to chew every bite of food Mm -hmm. then I'm fine yeah but anything other than that hiccups hiccup city baby (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that I just, I loved performing, you know, and I, and I think, and I didn't really have, I think that you're, you're an insane person if you don't have any, any anxiety around performing in front of a group of people, because it's an unnatural act to right. do that. So I always had sort of the natural amount of anxiety the that, around that, that. That people say that's good for you because exactly. it's the adrenaline and that all. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I tell that because I, I teach kids uh, like storytelling classes and I'm just like, you know, <laughs> if you're not nervous, you're not doing anything interesting. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. You know, and um, and so I never really struggled with that when I was younger. And and it did turn into this thing like why. And I had a I had this friend who was in this wonderful band and she was unbelievably talented. And it was so funny because every time she'd have a show, she'd call me every time I had a show, I'd call her and we were both just like who thought this was a good idea? This is the worst idea ever. Why am I even, why am I in a band? Like yeah. what do you, what even is a band? Like it's just like, you know, Yep. yeah, just this odd thing. And, and, um, I, I actually, um, I spoke to this, uh, to a psychologist, um, uh, just sort of about just trying to, you know, trying to figure this out, like trying to figure out 
why do I still do it? You know, like, and he had written this book, um, about Elliot Smith called Torment Saint. Mm. And, um, and he just talked about how, um, these, you know, there are performers who struggle with this thing and they have this, these massive fears, but it's so important to them. Like it was so, it was important enough to Elliot Smith who had, who had a lot of anxiety around performance to get his message across, to get his music out there. He believed in his work so much that he was willing to go through that. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's part of it. And, and then also this weird thing that you might be familiar with where the audience is at the same time, you know, this, this, center of your anxiety you know where it's all coming from but they're also this blanket once they applaud once they laugh and you're telling a story about your life where you felt like a freak or you felt like you fucked up or you felt shame and you hear them laughing at that story and you know that that laughter is them recognizing themselves in you and suddenly they're a blanket suddenly they're a comfort to you so it's this odd relationship mm. where, you know, it's it, where they're just going back and forth between being your greatest fear and your greatest comfort. Yeah, that's very, very true. Yeah. So you had so you had this a, a, a light uh, taste of nervousness, but that that nothing that would have ever got, uh, gotten your way. Uh, did you have that same level of, of anticipation or anxiety about just coming into a new school? I mean, that seems like it would be potentially more stressful than getting on stage. What was that like? Because we all, I mean, I don't know if, but I feel like most people have a, a, a feeling of like, remember when summer was ending and remember when you knew you were going back to school. And even if you knew you were going to the same school you'd gone to, there was still this very intense kind of like, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yikes. You know, and a feeling of nervousness on the first day, even when it was like, I'm a sixth grader. I've been going to the school for this, is my third year here, mm-hmm. but it's still new teachers and it's still, you know, what's the homework going to be like or whatever is going through your mind at whatever age. And then you drop into then, then you, and then it becomes like, and also this is, you've done this a million or maybe because you had to do it so much to just become like, yeah, old hat. It never was old hat yeah. and, and not, and, and going into a new situation for me, nothing, that's never old hat. Mm. And, um, what was interesting was that, um, my, for my brother, I think it was always an adventure. He was always the social one. And I felt so lucky. We were two years apart that he was the, he was the person who was always there, mm. you know, so that, because I was always, I was always terrified going into a new school and I was always that kid who, I would go and like eat lunch in the library by myself and anything, but having to just walk into a room full of people you don't know who's seems like in that moment, their worlds are so impeccably built that Mm -hmm. it's like a fortress, one big fortress that you're never going to penetrate. No, I mean, and, and especially like middle school and high school, you know, I mean, kids are cruel and they are clicky yeah. they're cruel and clicky and so it's such a weird phase for everyone to have to seem seemingly oh, go through well let's be i think that i think that they are i think that cruelty is just about insecurity mm-hmm. you know almost almost always cruelty is about is either about insecurity or being hurt right. someone hurt you and you want everyone else to be as hurt as you are yeah. and so i think that that there's never a time in our life that i think we're more insecure than middle school I mean, I don't know if you did this, but at my, I I just remember middle school, like calling, like I was thinking about wearing a dress tomorrow. Like, will you wear a dress so that I'm not the only one wearing a dress? This kind of bullshit, Yeah. you know? And, and so, yeah, just the idea of trying to, as you said, like 
penetrate, yeah, penetrate these groups of people. And I don't, I actually don't know that I ever walked into a cafeteria and sat down by myself at a table yeah. or sat or sat down with a group of people. Yeah. I always waited at a school until I knew enough people that I would like check with them and be like, Hey, can we have lunch today? Right. Because I never wanted that experience. Yeah. Did you have, um, experiences as a teenager where you did sort of find yourself making a home somewhere and then the feeling of, did you anticipate being told we're moving again? Or did you, were you very Buddhist in the sense that like, as a young person, you're like, I'm here, this is, I'm here today. I don't know when I'm going to be told or if I'm going to be told we have to leave. So I'm just going to dive in. I think that, I think that it was the latter for me. Like I, because you know, it was usually three to four years Mm -hmm. and my parents really were good about trying to do it at a time that would make sense, like Mm. going from middle school to high school or something. Although your brother's two years older than you. So right. It's a good chance. Maybe it won't work for one of you if it works for the other. Exactly. Yeah. So at one point I was in middle school and he was in high school. Um, but I think that, yeah, I, that was, that's the thing. And that continues to be the thing for me. Like, you know, I, I still can't walk into a group of people that I don't know and just start chatting. I've never been able to do that. It terrifies me to this day. Um, but once I'm in, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, once, because it, I mean, it's just so, but again, like how does my brain not let, not click into that? Mm-hmm. You know, from the very beginning, it's just like, cause once you start talking to them, you're like, oh yeah, right. they're humans. Right. I, I actually strangely like humans, right? you know? Right. And it's just like, no, how does my brain not know as I'm yeah. walking toward these, they're aliens in, initially. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then they shift into humans as I spoke, as yeah. I speak to them. And it's a lesson my brain simply cannot learn. So crazy. Where were, was there a, the bulk of high school that you did spend in one place? Um, yeah. So I actually was in, was in high school in Salinas and Monterey, California, California the whole time, which was great. That is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you go to the aquarium? Did you at any point think you wanted to be a, mar- a marine, marine, bi- marine biologist? Marine biologist. Ma- marine biologist. <laughs> Different um, from marine biologist. So don't answer that question. Answer the biologist question. <laughs> yes. Um, I didn't. And I did go to the aquarium, which is amazing and gorgeous and highly recommended. Um, but I never thought that I wanted to be a biologist. <laughs> like I, I, because I, I thought that I wanted to be a lawyer or an actress, I think when I was mm-hmm. in high school. So what about, I yeah. wanted to get in front of people and talk, talk about the law, the lawyer side of it. What was that about? I don't know why I was fascinated with being a lawyer, but I think, I think that I was, you know, I think that I, at the time thought that, um, I had this odd idea that like you could fight injustice. I think how sad I know. that you should be able to. It was adorable. You can fight injustice. Uh, Undisclosed is one of my all-time favorite podcasts. That is three lawyers who are changing the world of the criminal justice system a little bit at a time. Oh, I'm gonna have. I don't listen to that. Oh, it's great. It's yeah. great. I mean, to me, it's great because they go super granular. So Good. in the end, you're like, I guess I am a lawyer. <laughs> I guess I know a lot about things. Don't talk to me about a Brady violation. I will get very, very upset. No, I mean, I want anything that will give me hope at this point. Yeah. Anything that I, I, I think it's one of the, one of the most amazing people, uh, out there doing this from my perspective is Susan Simpson, who is the lawyer who essentially is responsible for Adnan Syed getting the, his life changing as it has, um, because of evidence that she found that no one else found in the same box of stuff. Um, and she seems to be one of the most, 
uh, cynical people. It, like when you listen to you, you're like, God, Susan, why are you doing this? Like you, this, you're, you're what a downer. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, oh wait, she's doing it. So she's, she's compelled to do it. And she, she, you there, she is not operating with doom and gloom yeah. when she's spending thousands of hours trying to get somebody, you know, who's falsely imprisoned out of prison and to educate the public about why this happens and how frequently it happens and all the ways in which we have to reform and stuff like that. But I think you would really like it. That teenage wannabe lawyer in you is going to be like, <laughs> your honor, objection. <laughs> I object. Yeah. 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 So what what injustice were you seeing that you felt like, was it just sort of a general capital I injustice? I think that it was. I mean, I think that I, so I did actually, um, so I spent four years, very, very young years in Shaker Heights, Ohio. And Shaker Heights is, is a pretty, um, so Shaker Heights was one of the first uh, p- sort of planned uh, um, integrated communities in the United States. Mm. And they were actually quite successful at it. Mm. And so I'd spent, you know, my very, very early school years being surrounded by people of color. And it was completely normal. And, you know, to me, and then I was started to move to these other places where there were not people of color. Um, and, or like I lived in Texas, which is uh, parts of Texas. I'm going to just say it are kind of racist. Yeah. And so I, th- I think that was part of it for me was just sort of seeing the way that, that people who looked different from me were treated. Yeah. Um, you know, at the time and, you know, and I, and I did, I, I, I remember I, I had hope back then. <laughs> It was, oh no! It was adorable. It was adorable. Oh no! No, I do have no. I do, and that's yeah. the thing. You, it's like you know, you, you have to have you have to have hope, or obviously nothing is going to change. So I, I do, but I, but I, but yeah, I think that back then, and then I, and then I, yeah, sort of got fascinated with acting, and um, it's really funny. Like I, I remember practicing my Oscar acceptance speeches. <laughs> <laughs> in Wait, did you school. say speeches? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have at least three in your pocket because you don't know how many Oscars you're gonna win in the same year. Right? Yeah, it was like I had this clo- this walk-in closet. Well, I mean, not walk-in. It was actually quite small, but I walked into it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess most closets are walk-in. If you could hang a jacket in it, you might be able to fit your body in there. And I just would just go in there, and I would. Pr- I don't even remember what I was talking into, but I. But also, those speeches were about who I didn't thank. Oh, okay. Like that was my. That was how I would get back at people. Oh, like, I'm, oh. Not, I'm not thanking. And I would specifically like, and I'd be, and by the way, I'm not thanking my cousin <laughs> Shannon. Clearly, you didn't understand that all publicity is good publicity. Shannon would have been like, she said my name. Everyone, she said that's my takeaway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't thinking clearly. Uh-huh. I was in middle school. Yeah. Exactly. Did you have works. um did you have a like a propensity towards listening to a certain kind of music and like and did you connect emotionally uh with that kind of stuff to feel understood as well since you were moving so much or books or what was it oh, what 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 was what both. what salves and balms were there for you in the arts? Well, it, my my mother was an avid reader and um and she also introduced me to theater. And so like I remember when we were living in San Antonio, um it was this there was a Broadway series and so I I went to see a chorus line and Anne 
Annie and all of these, you know, Broadway shows. And so that was absolutely like imagining being a part of that was amazing for me. And reading, I just, you know, I, I actually back then, like I liked sort of fantasy books Mm -hmm. and, um, I loved any Arthurian legend I was sort of fascinated by. And, um, yeah, and that was very helpful, I think, you know, and I think back to then because I, I sort of, I consider myself kind of an ambivert now, like, you know, like I am one of those people who gets energy from both being by myself and being around other people. Um, and just the, just that feeling that I actually don't really get anymore because with digital technology, I don't read like I used to, but that feeling of comfort that you get when you're just by yourself and you have a book in your hand and just being able to be completely taken into that world in your head, um, is such a comfort. And, and I think that the way that we, our culture still believes that, um, that introverts, like that we still look at introversion as a, as a problem, Mm -hmm. um, is so problematic. Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, you know, and and because I felt like I did need to be more, um, extroverted, Mm. you know, that, because that's what, that's what you're, that's what you're supposed to do. Like you're supposed to, you know, be fun and be interesting and, you know, sell yourself. But also in the digital world, there's this weird combination happening and this is the wrong time to get into this because we, that I'm sure we talked about that for three hours, but, um, this idea of like, you like like being by yourself but online all the time and like being a quote-unquote extrovert by posting on Instagram but you know what I'm saying like there's now the the which is which feels kind of like it's flipped a little bit like I don't I don't understand I, th- I think on a on kind of a profound level I probably don't really understand a true introvert and a true extrovert anymore because because people complain about living so much of their lives online do you mm-hmm. know what I mean yeah. But I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. I guess it's just something that I, I find myself thinking about from time to time. Well, I think, I mean, I think that you can be a massive introvert and still be very successful online because I think that you're still by yourself. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, you're yeah. still by yourself. You're still it, yeah. spending time by yourself. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, there, have you, have you read any of Sherry Turkle's Mm-mm. books or articles? No, I, I think, think she's so. brilliant. And I think that she is sounding an alarm right now that enough people are are not hearing about digital technology and she talks about how now we see being alone as a problem that needs to be solved mm-hmm. and we solve it with our digital technology with our phones the first thing we do when we're by ourselves is we reach for a phone and she says we're losing so much we're losing you know we're losing t- the time that we spend daydreaming which is where all of our ideas come from yeah and which is those are the times that we think about our life and we think about the people in our lives and we've completely lost that and that that you know the way that we create empathy in our lives the way like supposedly five years old is the is the time when most kids start to sort of learn empathy and the way that they learn it is that they might say something cruel to a kid and they see their face and they see their body yeah and they're like, oh, that hurt. And right. then it makes them feel bad because right. they see that they made someone feel badly. Well, you can say whatever you want on the internet. And so what's happening, what they're seeing is kids aren't learning empathy. <laughs> exactly. It's freaking terrifying. Yeah. See, but what do you think about, and then I'm going to get into Smash game with you. But what do you think about, um, but the, the, other, the other thing I bump up against is that I, tr- I don't, 
I can't, I, I, I don't know what is a real problem and what is just me being sort of the age I am now watching different because every generation has some version of that right like yes the two people our age were having a conversation 50 years ago that was like and television now I am telling you right now it will be the end of civilization well, was it, we it wasn't it. it it was like Socrates I think who was who was upset about books about, yeah he was upset yeah. about writing things down yeah because he was like oh we're gonna get lazy and we're not gonna remember anything which I mean, right or wrong, but like, so, so, but this is what I bump up against is like, I want to be the, I, I remember thinking even as a younger person, like when I get older, I don't want to catastrophize the things that I'm not as familiar with or the way I see young people, because I'm very aware that that seems like it's a cycle. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to ignore actual red flags that are like societally, we have to pay attention to these things. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know if I can tease those apart anymore. Um, so I'm glad someone's doing it. <laughs> well, but I also think that, and and maybe maybe back in when people were worried about TV, there was data, um, and but there's data. Like right. there are studies now, and yeah. there's on you know I work with this organization in Portland called Create More Fear Less that works with anxious kids, and um, it is it's it's very very frightening mm. how much anxiety has blown up among young among young people oh it's boy. it's it's pervasive now yeah and 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 i just i i absolutely believe that it's because of digital technology yeah. and we know right they did studies i think it was a decade ago they did studies on facebook and saw that kids high school kids were depressed by facebook like there was no question. Right. It was just, it was right there. And it's like, okay, well, so we have the data. Why aren't we doing anything about it? Right. And what's the answer to that? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, th that's, what's so scary is that it's, it's everywhere. It's just like, I, how do you stop it once it started? We have these things that we like, that were in Star Trek and we thought we wanted. And so we're like, well, look at this. The future is here. Yeah. And it's like, oh, were we, was should this have been the future yeah it was the future we wanted yeah and we definitely want it because it's addictive and we get all this dopamine from it right but i'm not sure it's the future we should have had yeah and i and maybe i'm just like a you know maybe i'm just crotchety <laughs> I know, and i, I remember know, back in the old yeah, times know, we would we would talk to each other at dinner it's so hard to know it's so hard to know but that's just something that um jaron lanier i always want to say like jaron lanier that's not how he says his own name but he's the he's he's there's a lot you can find a lot <laughs> ironically online about about him because he does um do these little uh sort of bite-sized five minute videos he's you know was one of the the kind of godfathers of the internet i guess and um and also was like the he tells a famous story about how he was the consultant uh for minority report who essentially gave them like here's what i think the technology would be like like how when you walk into a room you're you're scanned and immediately it's like hello you courtney i know you like to buy this kind of software so i'm gonna say you know you should buy this next and that he's like that was supposed to be like irony and 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 a cynical kind of you know uh, post it you know it was a dystopia and then and then everyone was like ooh that's cool technology let's make that exactly. he's like no 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 you t no you took it as like a blueprint no it's very very I mean, unsettling you know how you know you know how facebook is is random and twitter is random and it's just it comes up and you never know what's coming. Mm -hmm. So th that's an addictive technology, right? Like we, because we, because, and that's what draws you to it. And that's what makes you want to refresh all the time. You know that the guy who 
did that, the coder who created that technology has quit and has apologized profusely and feels devastated that he made it. Like Is that, that should say sign? something. <laughs> exactly. Like yeah. he's really sorry. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I think lots of signs pointing to, we need to do something and I can't answer what that is. Well, I think what you're doing right now, working with those kids is, you know, start local, right? I mean, that's, those are, those are really meaningful conversations that are being had and really inspiring things that are happening. And, um, it's sure a, 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 a very real life response, a physical response, a tangible, like human to human response that, um, that does kind of is in defiance of, you know, the kind of things that you're talking about. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think, and, and, and I would say, you know, because I know that you've struggled with anxiety in the past and, and I think one of the great messages of this organization that, that adults with anxiety need to remember is that there are things that your anxiety does for you that are positive. Right. And one of, one of the different ways to think about your anxiety is that, you know, anxiety gives you an extraordinary imagination, right? Like you can imagine the worst case scenario, right? And so that's one of the things that, that it's trying to do. Um, and just, I think that, that one of the issues with having anxiety is that we beat ourselves up about having anxiety and it adds to it. So it's like, no, there are, there are, there's a, there's a reason why, right. You know, we have anxiety. Also don't try to tell someone with anxiety to listen to their gut. We're all, hi, we're a long way from being able to listen to our gut. Our gut is, has a labyrinthian maze of like extraordinary magical thinking before we get to the gut. It's like, I knew I shouldn't have gotten the car that day. It's like, no, you didn't know that. That's not your gut. That's you worrying every time you get in a car. Yeah. Like you've just been waiting to blame something on not listening to your gut. My gut told me I had cancer. <laughs> Guess what? You didn't have cancer. I don't know though. No, my gut is saying I will get cancer. Like you can, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah. If I, if I listened to my gut every day, I would just live in the bathtub. Yeah. Like no, an empty bathtub. Like there's no water in it, but that's the same. (laughs) He seems like the safest place. Yeah, exactly. You know, I just get Postmates in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's a lot of access to your home and to your personal self to give these people since you're not getting out. But you know what? It's a give and take. It's a trade off. You wept as we crafted the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. Yeah. Dude, like he forgives Darth Vader. <laughs> Lisa still love you, Annie. <laughs> you gasped out loud at the shocking twists of Face Off 2. Face is wild. He takes his kid's face. What? <laughs> we're writing an entire screenplay week by week on Story Bricks Season 2, Heaven Heist. Hey folks, Freddie Wong here with some exciting news about Story Break, the writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have one hour to spin cinematic gold. We're shaking up our format by turning Heaven Heist, one of our favorite ideas we've ever come up with on the show, into a full screenplay. Heaven Heist is an action comedy about a crew of misfit gangsters robbing the celestial bank of heaven. Think of Coco meets Point Break. Join us as we write this crazy movie scene by scene and get an inside look at the screenwriting process on our podcast Story Break every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Let's get into this mash game. All right. The first thing that I will ask you is um, let's put a, well, let's put you in person with someone that for whatever reason, uh, it's maybe unlikely that you'll get to actually sit and have a conversation with on a couch, be it that they are living elsewhere, be it that they're dead. Um, 
somebody that you would like to uh, have a conversation with that could possibly even turn into a collaboration. So the sky's the limit. It could be anyone living or dead. Oh, my gosh. Dorothy Parker, uh, David Rakoff, and uh, Carrie Fisher. Great. Great, great, great. Okay. How about three places that don't exist that are from literature or film or TV? Three places that you can go to whenever you want. You're not reliving the plot of whatever that is. You're safe if there's some sort of action component. Mm -hmm. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. You can just just sort of dip into that whole world and just be immersed in in a world of fiction. Three. Oh my Camelot, obs, obs. Um, <laughs> uh, if I answer for my twelve-year-old self, it would be um, Rydell High. Great. Um, <laughs> and can you um, tell me what Greece is? I mean, is it, Greece is the word, but like, <laughs> is it the grease? It's not the grease of the car. It's not just the hair grease. Like, what is that song saying? I don't. I, think, I really don't get it. I think that it might be both. Like, I think that it. Grease is and the I, time, I is never, the place. It's is like, the what, motion. What like, what is that even? Like, Grease is the motion. Yeah, I never really thought of it. But by the way, that's a terrible song. <laughs> like, that is just, that is an awful song. <laughs> like, I heard a remake of it that, that that was made it a kind of good. Oh. Approachably good. But, you know, it was like a zero seven sort of like, oh, interesting. Like, it's a sort of ethereal like sexy it made it sexy really kind of i think i can't even imagine i'm pretty that. sure i've heard it someone <laughs> listening is like yeah it's called blah 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 it's called grease first of all it's a cover <laughs> second of all it's by so and so yeah uh, okay rydell high give me your third Rydell-Hi. one um and oh so it's just if like probably and, and then i'll answer for my like 30 something year old self and say um monica's apartment and friends great <laughs> yep Perfect. Okay, next category is uh, three alternate universe jobs that you have that you could have. Um, I mean, listen, it's possible to take into account things that everything has its downside. But in this world, we're going to say we're really focusing on the positive. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to know that much about what it really takes to be any of these things. Could be just your fantasy version. Um, well, I th- yeah, I think that I'd like a, um, like a sort of a, a death row lawyer, mm-hmm. yeah, like great. someone who saves people from yeah. dying on death row. Great. Um, I'd love to be, um, I'd love to be a dancer because I'd like to know what it's like to be able to move my body like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess, um, I'd like to be a screenwriter. Great. Like everyone in this town, every single, literally every person in this town. But guess what? (laughs) We need stories. It's true. Stories are constantly being told, so that that's why it's hard not to want to be a part of that process. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, next one is uh, romance. This can be three people. I don't care if they're living, dead, a fictitious, a fictitious character, uh, Brad Pitt's character in blah, 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 Angelina's character in blah, 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 um, or just Angelina or just Brad. I mean, the sky's the limit. I really don't want you to feel limited to Brad and Angelina. <laughs> right. Because most people are. Right. Um so so yeah, someone that I would that I would totally be yeah. This is like sure this into. is like alternate universe sexy times, romance times. Uh, Idris Elba, great. Um, can I say my college sexual variations teacher? Sure. Who was like a lady, and she was like the first woman that I was like, do I want to be her or do I want to make out with her? Yeah. 
um, because she was amazing. Great. And then, uh, and I've, yeah, thought about her. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, oh my gosh, who do I, who, uh, Steve Martin. Great. Yeah. Great. Okay. Who I think, I think he might be kind of fucked up, but. You know, I mean, every listen, comp- I don't know. he ended right. up marrying like a, a, a an age appropriate really? wonderful New York Times author, I believe. Oh, that's um, lovely. Yeah, he, I think he got there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but ditto. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, next category, let's do three. Um, let's do three. Okay, I, this is one that I really like. This is the like magical room of requirement, Harry Potter type room that in your existing house, there's just a door that no one ever notices. And when you open it up, it can walk into anything that you want. Three things. So it could be as wild as like you open it up and you're on a beach. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as you walk back out, you're back in your house. Or it could be just like a sewing room or uh you know a crafts room or a, just a, a sensory deprivation tank so you can get super comfortable with that feeling mm-hmm. uh but three um i would love to have a room in my house where i where i would walk into it and it would um it would completely shut down my prefrontal cortex and oh. so i wouldn't i wouldn't question anything i wrote i wouldn't worry about anything that i wrote um same and then i would like another room that i could walk into that would completely take away my anxiety great that i just would feel at peace all the time um and then i'd love yeah i'd love to have a room that i walked into that um was in a cabin um with trees surrounding me that just made that that made the sort of noise of that the wind makes as it moves through great the trees absolutely concur uh okay next one let's do three um Let's do three places in time that you can visit to either bear witness to something or just like satisfy your curiosity about an era and age. Could be an isolated moment where you suddenly have the answer to an ages old mystery that we can't seem to solve. Um, you know, it can be any of that, but that, but you're sort of in the safety bubble and it's a place in time that you can visit. Uh, three. I guess I want to I, I want to go back and like somehow watch Hitler's mother as she's raising him to figure out what happened, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. what happened there exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know. So I want to hang out with baby Hitler. Hang That's out a. with baby Hitler. Let's find out what was nature. What was nurture? <laughs> exactly. What exactly happened there? Um, I am fascinated by the 40s. And I know I've already mentioned Dorothy Parker, but I would love to go oh, sure. to the Algonquin in the 40s and hang out and just listen to all the people at the at the round table yeah. just chit-chatting. That would be amazing. Um, and then uh, what other eras would I like to be in? Um I also, uh, there was something about like the seventies, I think like I, I've been watching lately a lot of, um, seventies variety shows, sort of mashups like Donnie and Marie on the share show. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> or on, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Cause there was a while that it, there was Sonny and Cher and then there was just share, you know, and then they would do sketches and stuff. So I guess I would just want to like be a part of that yeah. whole like 70s environment, variety 70s variety Mish, shows. Mishmash mix up. Exactly. Um, it's funny you would say that because we suddenly somehow got sucked into the Paul Lind Halloween special from the 70s. Yeah. That like Florence Henderson, Paul Lind, um, oh, what's her name? The wonderful Margaret 
the wonderful woman who plays the Wicked Witch of the of the West, like Margaret something, um, and then Kiss. <laughs> like, oh my god! Just this insanely weird huge weird set with a really stupid premise that was Mm -hmm. like i mean it was just talk about they don't make them like they used to in a good way in that case but also like what a joy Mm -hmm. what a weird acid trip joy that just regular everyday people were like yeah i'm gonna tune into the paul lynn halloween special just the combinations that they used to come up with in the 70s like the people that they would put together it was completely bizarre and and great yeah you know yeah and often awful things but. weren't as things maybe weren't as niche because you no. just sort of everybody just jumbled into the same stew mm-hmm. at some point oh you're famous for something yeah. <laughs> uh, love it okay um three uh let's do three musicians that can um that have like composed an album for you oh i mean God. this is yeah you're and it could be a composer could be a singer songwriter a band anything like that but three people you would love to be like oh you didn't know that so-and-so made a, an entire album for me yeah um patty griffin um uh oh my god i'm blanking um because i've been oh uh m ward i say m ward but i actually got to interview him on stage and i think he kind of fucked with me like he acted like oh i'm shy but Uh, then uh, he turned away from the audience at one point and gave me this little grin and i was like are you fucking with me right now (laughs) but i love his music um and probably tom waits i guess great uh and finally let's do for you uh, three modes of transport that are, they can be as magical or as realistic as you want, but let's pretend you have them, each of them as an option instead of like getting into a more conventional vehicle, like sitting in traffic in a car or something. Oh, um, well, I mean, I really, I really want one of those floating cars that yeah. floats above track, yeah. above traffic. Floating car. Great. For sure. Um, I feel like, um, a jetpack would probably be too scary for me. <laughs> Very violent. Um, <laughs> exactly um but uh i'd like to have I'd, I'd like to have just moving walkways everywhere i go yeah don't you feel like such a superhero you're like i am very strong and very fast and i don't even need to i don't need to feel like i'm racing past anything i just feel like when you're on when you have been on one long enough you're like this is how i should be moving exactly. this is how fast and how swiftly and gracefully i should be taking every step why do i not have this mm-hmm. I no completely my agree. favorite thing is when someone is walking beside me and yeah. i'm on the moving walkway and they're not it's yeah. my absolute favorite yeah i'm just like i am a badass <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> like, I sh- is there like an Olympic? Is there an Olympic striding? Just- She's an Olympic strider. <laughs> exactly. Where you actually have luggage with yeah. you? Because you- <laughs> I would win. Yeah, I would win, you guys. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'd love the moving walkway. Love it. Um. And then yeah. Uh. I I just if is there something anything here here's what i want i want a car that's just a normal car yeah but anytime there is an unprotected left hand turn it elevates and maybe it's too much like the first one but it elevates Mm -hmm. above everyone and just lets me go until i can find a spot yeah so like it's a it's a it's an unprotected left hand turn (gasps) elevated yeah elevator car 
And of course, I did have room to write all of that in this tiny space. She shakes her head sadly. This is left. This is left hand turn. We both know what that means. Yeah. We know what that means. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is the. This, I'm just going to do a little something. Imagine I'm drawing like hash marks or a little circle that's a spiral. Um, so just give me a couple of seconds, and then whenever your gut tells you, mm-hmm. tell me when to stop. And then what I'm going to do is it'll be like I count the rings of the spiral, or I count the hash marks, and then I'll go. If say I got six, I'll go one, two, three, four. Four, five, six. I'll cross that out. Okay. One, two, three, four, and and it doesn't take very long for me to just go through all that, and then I'll have each category mm-hmm. of your one hundred percent guaranteed fictitious mesh alternate okay. universe future. I love it. Uh, so here I go. I'm just gonna do this very quickly. You can stop me anytime. Mm-hmm. Stop. Okay. I'm gonna pause this to the listener. It will seem as if no time has passed, and I will come back with aforementioned future. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. For this future. Mm-hmm. I think you'll be pleased. Yes. Uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you on your ability to get anywhere via floating car. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, oh my God, I'm so excited. I can't wait. You, you can say, guys, I can't listen to this argument. I'm literally above it all. <laughs> but yeah, that's, no, I, I feel like uh, that's going to make a big difference in my life. It's going to make a huge difference in your life. Um, you are, and th- by the way, this is going to be very important because you're going to have a lot to be thinking about. You don't need to be getting stressed out with traffic because someone's life is on the line right now with you as a death row attorney who is saving th- and changing the justice system for good. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, you got to be able to conserve your strength and your energy. Well, and I can get anywhere. Like I can, that's part of why I'm so good at what I do. Yeah. Is that I can just like, oh, yeah. hop from library to library, from, right. from court to court. Library to library. <laughs> By the way, I forgot that uh, somehow I've avoided the for the first time asking you for three foods that you can have uh, unlimited amount. I was oh, like, Jesus. you're going to need energy. I forgot the category I've never forgotten in my life. Wow. Yeah. It would be maybe one I of usually my, do one podcast on an empty stomach <laughs> and I've recently eaten. So I forgot it. <laughs> yeah. It'd be one of my mother's casserole, casseroles for sure. Okay. All right. Well, let's assume that you, right. that you have unlimited uh, mom casseroles. <laughs> Not made of moms. Uh, I want to also congratulate you on your uh, ability to uh, sit in on Dorothy Parker's Vicious Circle. Oh, yeah, that very that well makes done. me very happy. Yeah, and I'm going to drink like a motherfucker. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so much gin. You so are going gin. to. It's going to make you very wise. <laughs> uh, I want to uh, also congratulate. Listen, that's one type of click. Mm-hmm. You're going to get your share of a lot of very uh, other different lighthearted clicks in, with your ability to go to Rydell High. Oh, shit. Whatever you want. So I'm just going to be surrounded real... by 35 year old high right. school students. Right. Just be like, how many times That's were right. you held back? That's right. Like, what's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, know seem normal. you don't have to come here anymore. <laughs> You've, you, this is not something you need to do for exactly. yourself or anyone else. Yeah, you'd, you'd be doing everyone a favor if you would just go somewhere else. Uh, job, for God's <laughs> sake, Rizzo. Uh, I want to congratulate you on your... Uh, oh, I guess I said that, yeah, it would be someplace that you could sink into whenever you want. So weirdly, this mansion, apartment, shack, and house, you have a mansion next door to Rydell High School. <laughs> so you're stuck you're stuck right next door to all of the grease the greasers that actually sounds really miserable i mean like i really i shouldn't have answered from i should have answered for my current self oh yeah no. my 13 year old self was an yeah idiot. you're gonna be like those kid, those quote unquote <laughs> kids are singing again i am not able to get a moment's peace i'll tell you what when you need to get a moment's peace 
or longer, you can go right into your secret room that uh, completely shuts down all of the anxiety in your prefrontal cortex and just allows you to write, write, and write some more and just not question any of it. So you did get that. We will consider that um, a win, Uh, (laughs) whether or not your mansion is next to Rydell High. Uh, You have the uh, ability to uh, sit down with uh, David Rakoff. Oh, nice. He's wonderful. What a wonderful writer. Yeah. And he did, he did, um, he would come on to like This American Life or, he or right? And yeah. he's a wonderful contributor. Yeah. He, yeah, he was just, he, he was, and, and evidently an absolutely extraordinary just person. Like yeah. he used to, he actually, he was on Livewire and he actually wrote us, um, this, the best thank you card we'd ever gotten mm. that he made himself. And evidently, this was the person that he was. He was That's a lovely. Good guy. Yes, he left the world a lot better than when he came into it. So yes, he did. To know. Um, speaking of people who are making the world a better place with their art, Patty Griffin wrote a beautiful album about you. <laughs> she did, and yet it was so universal that people uh, can they they apply to their own lives. But you, of course, know mm-hmm. this was my album. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and they're like, oh, that song that you're crying to right now. Yeah, that's about my life. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so save your tears. Exactly. That song's about me not being a ballerina. Uh, <laughs> and you're still not because you're a fantastic attorney. I think the world is better for you being attorney rather than I a dancer. Yeah, I appreciate All that. due respect to all dancers. Um, but uh, And then all of this you're sharing, by the way, uh, with your romantic partner, the one and only... Let's all just fan ourselves, Idris Elba. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, that's a win. Mm-hmm. That's a major win. I'm right taking there. that home with me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Courtney, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Oh, thanks for Will having me. Will you please me. Uh, tell people where they can find you? Uh, tell them where they can find the book. Um, let's give the name of the book again because it's a long sentence that it I don't is. want to misquote. Yes. Uh, so the book is called Okay, Fine, Whatever. The year I went from being afraid of everything to only being afraid of most things. Um, and you can you can find it pretty much anywhere. What I tell people, though, I would love it if you would go to IndieBound.org. Mm-hmm. Um, because what you can then do is just put in your zip code and it will show you local independent Great. bookstores that, love that have that. the book. Um, and what's, you, that, what, what's that URL again? It's IndieBound. So it's I-N-D-I-E bound.org. And um, so I, that would be amazing, but it's also just at any sort of online retailer. Sure. And the, the paperback comes out um, January 7th. Great. But the, the, the hardcover is out right now. So, Great. So you're you're welcome to get it. And then my website's just, it's CourtneyHomeister.com, but just type in my name and Google, because it's spelled in a very annoying way. So <laughs> There's a lot of different ways to spell Courtney. Exactly. Uh, also, I feel like we can probably put some sort of a hot link in the... My producer, Julian, knows more about that than I do, mm-hmm. but I feel that he has certainly added a hot link or two in, in the past. So yeah, that would be um, lovely. you can also check that out, guys. Uh, thank you so much again. Thanks for having me and helping me imagine my perfect future. Oh, Idris. Talk to you guys next time on the podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.